You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hello and welcome to yet another Wall Daily. My name is Paul Copeland and joining me today is Hody Johns. Hody, how are you? Doing great, Paul. Glad to be here after so long. It's been too long. We had that long break. When's the last time we even recorded together? Uh, I'm... I feel like it was before break, but then again, I've slept a lot with the winter and everything. Uh, it's kind of hibernation time, but uh, I understand that you have a really great topic that's been worth the wait. So what are we talking about today? So just in general, what I wanted to talk about is it is kind of a, I guess, a, a hook for people that are not libertarians to kind of to kind of kind of grasp some more of the concept. And I wanted to talk about how we're not necessarily opposed to government services. We're just opposed to the government administering those services. Oh, so like how we're not against roads existing, but we would rather them be accomplished in a more fair, free market way? That's that's an excellent example. The roads are probably roads are probably the most uh, frequently brought up one. Um, defense, healthcare. You know, I think let's go ahead and start with roads since you brought that up, and that's probably the one that people most think of. I think it's well, interesting that that there is such a great history for for the roads because before. We had before we had the government taking over the roads, people would think, oh, well, what was it all private tolls? You know, I got to pay every single left and right that I get. Most of them were actually like the government. Well, not the government at all, but businesses and corporations saying, well, I want people to access my stuff more. So what's the best way for people to access my stuff? Well, for me to sell my goods, I want to be able to connect my commercial area to these residential zones and so they actually forked over the cost so a lot of people think that the costs are just going to get forked over to us somehow so it might as well be through taxation but that's not even the case uh other people did it for us and then um yeah uh, farmers actually had a lot to do with it because farms specifically are out in the middle of nowhere most of the time and uh and yeah that's uh that's kind of how it worked. And so it's funny that people think of the roads as the worst, you know, or, or the thing we could least be able to do if we weren't taxed for it. And it's something that the private market was pretty much doing a good job doing until we really kind of until until the government stepped in. And now we've got gridlock. I don't know. Is there anything anything you want to add on the, the roads front? Well, I mean, roads and public access right-of-ways have been a part of common law for well over 300 years. Uh, it goes back well into English common law that the margins of your property uh, were places that people could use to get to other properties. That way you didn't box people in. Uh but I think one of the major concerns is that people look at the time before the government taking care of roads was largely a time before the modern 
automobile and the expenses have gone up quite a bit and they feel that there's no way that private entities can coordinate to bring about high quality road surfaces. But, you know, I, I feel that that's blatantly false when you look at just how much of the world is paved and how much of that pavement is surfaces such as parking lots and other privately owned uh, pavement types. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you got you got it's not even all just transportation. It's also where you park and store your transportation and everything in between the, uh, it's so, I I guess I, I haven't necessarily heard the argument that like, Oh, we're just too modern for government to not do it because most of the time I think of modern stuff is like, like the internet happening without government and then the government really trying to interfere with it. Especially since like, a lot of the people in Silicon Valley said, uh, what was it, uh, Bill Gates and Microsoft? Was he the one who said, I wouldn't have been able to do Microsoft with our with, with how much the government has taken over? I wouldn't have been able to found it in my garage anymore. I didn't need all these licenses. I, I forget who, but that's part of the issue, right, is that you have these tech giants, and now they say, well, yeah, we got all these government regulations. It's too bad we wouldn't have even got our feet off the ground in this in this day and age. So I, f- I feel like government always stifles technological advancement as opposed to, like, encourages it. But that's, that's uh, I guess, my observation. D- is there some example that I'm missing here of where the government has, like, really helped push us forward? Well, no, I, I don't think that it's a matter of the government helping push us forward, but I think that the layperson looking at the issue is going to say that, well, yeah, it's really easy to have private roads when they're basically just an area cleared from plant growth so that you can drive a wagon over it. But, you know, private companies know how to make pavement, how to lay down pavement and keep it, you know, accessible to vehicles. And private roads are all over the place. Uh, I just, it's one of those concerns that I think somebody might have, but I don't think it necessarily is as daunting to overcome as some people might think it is. And and when we say private, a lot of people think, oh, it's just going to get corporatized, but we are talking about public demand being the, the largest thing that de- that kind of pushes an economy. So even if it's the big guys doing it, you know, the big corporate guys doing it, which I guess take your pick between if you trust, you know, big business over the government, you know, at least there's multiple big businesses. There's only one government. So at least you're demonopolizing it. But even then, those businesses are doing it to cater to us, to, to the people. So I guess I just don't, I I don't see the threat in it because they would do it to make it more streamlined. They want their workers to get their places safely and on time. They want their, their, uh, consumers to get there safely and quickly. And so it seems to me they'd be pushing for quicker, uh, you know, 
maybe even as opposed to just more roads, which sometimes, like I said, can create some gridlock, which the government has been known to uh, known to be able to do because they give you the quantity and they don't give you the quality. And then speaking of the quality, if I damage my car on a public road, there's nothing I can do about it because they're not held accountable. Whereas if corporation owns a highway, well, guess who's responsible for maintaining and cleaning up that highway, you know, and making sure and making sure that it looks nice. You know, it's not nobody. It's it, it, it's it's a corporation. And so I'm not saying it all needs to be corporatized. Obviously, if it's privatized, somebody personally, uh, in fact, I believe our what's it, our oldest highway in the United States was just some farmers that all in one day made a joint effort to lay some uh, lay some some pavement down, and they did it all in one day, and it like it, it expanded across several states. I believe that's the oldest highway we actually have in the U.S. and it's drivable because somebody else is accountable for it, and they didn't make it like they didn't care about your car because frankly, the government doesn't care about your car. You know, they, yeah, they, yeah, no incentive. And to yeah, to underline that point, here in Indianapolis, there is a program to pay people whose vehicles are damaged due to the neglect of the city and taking care of our massive pothole problem. Uh, and by the numbers, in 2016, 215 people filed a claim of through the official uh, system. Uh, Hody, could you venture a guess of how many of those 215 people were reimbursed for the damage to their vehicle? I'm hoping it's not zero, but I'm thinking that that's probably somewhere in the ballpark. Oh, it's in the ballpark. Uh, four out of 215 people. Okay. So and out of government damage, government gets incompetent, allows potholes to happen, doesn't fix them, people get damaged to their car, and doesn't they won't reimburse almost anybody, it seems. Yeah, and in 2017... 267 people filed and only 25 of them received a check for the damages to their vehicle. So we're talking at a rate of the people who file, which the people who get increased wear and tear on their vehicles is much higher. But the people that have damage significant enough to warrant filing a claim against the city less than 10% in any of the years that I have here have received any sort of reimbursement that so 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 there we go like and I, and let's use this roads as a microcosm example they're not accountable they're not responsible they don't do them well and and they'll, they'll give you quantity sometimes but there's no quality and there's no competition and so this is exactly the issue. Like, and so let's let's expand it off the roads because I think you started, and I love your examples; those are fantastic. But like, so, to something like, and we've talked about healthcare in depth before, but something to say, oh, we need a single pay payer. You know, the the government needs to take over this healthcare thing and pay for it all and make sure it's all done. Whereas I'm not against a whole bunch of people getting together and putting money in. And taking care of a lot of people's problems, I'm against only one company slash person being able to do that. Uh, you and I, if you would, if you would, if you, Mister Listener, dear Listener, Mrs. Listener, Miss Listener, Listener Junior, whoever you may be, 
are listening to this and have not heard Paul and I talk about uh, how to fix healthcare, uh, we got a lot of positive enforcement on those episodes, and I think you should definitely listen to them. Uh, because it definitely details how the government handles it both incompetently and inflates it like crazy. And you look at free markets that are able to provide these life-saving drugs and operations and surgeries. And I know that like, oh, the rest of the modern world is doing it too. Well, the mess, the rest of the modern world is paying these, these increased prices as well. And that's why people are going to Mexico to get their crowns filled in. I mean, it's, I'm sorry about your modern world and how you love it so much and how we love to copy France and everything that we do, but there's some things they just don't do well. And we did them because we all became, you know, big governments. We're the biggest countries in the world, so our governments got big as well. We decided to embrace it because it's, hey, it's big government. Why not? And we're paying too much, you know? It's just... So, I again, this is something that we're not against people doing we're just against a single monopoly doing it. And I am not sure that I know of too many people that even claim to be big government that love monopolies enough to, to want that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, isn't that one of the things that we've entrusted our government with tragically here in the U.S. is busting up monopolies? And yet we expect them to perform the biggest monopoly there is on so many different industries right they become, uh, they become the single monopoly yeah so you know there are a plethora of different things that the government does today that would be handled much easier and better and more affordably by private certification boards or any number of different services out there and even nonprofit organizations that would handle things such as poor relief in a better way than our current government funding systems do. The problem of poverty and welfare, we have expanded the percentage of people on poverty since we even started the programs. So here's the thing is if it's a free market, and the free market tries a solution and it doesn't work or it makes the problem work, what does the free market do, Paul? Generally, we get rid of uh, that program and acknowledge it as a failure and move on to something better. But now that we've we found that that we're wasting ridiculous sums of money, on in healthcare, we can't locate a lot of it. The money that we pay in doesn't end up trickling down like it should to them, and it's not helping them out of poverty. Well, I know this is rhetorical, but why can't we move on? Well, because now if you try to move past a program like, say, HUD or anything else that's been proven to produce poor results, you're labeled as you know, an elitist, a bigot, hateful, and, you know, you can't tackle these issues without huge social repercussions. And so so this is really, and, and that's the tie-in that I want, because if you talk about changing our welfare system, people is, oh, you just want them to die. You know, that that's the natural assumption. You want to get rid of them. 
in spite all the evidence, I mean, just in history, that we did better without it, that the poor were better off without it. But let's talk about how let's talk about how much better it could be if we have a free market trying to solve it in any number of innovative ways instead of one way that we fail and then we just keep failing on and just keep saying, well, we need to feed more money into it. We just need to feed more money into it. That's not a free market solution at all. The free market's trying to put less money into it and get more out of it, which anybody looking, I mean, even by the government's own audits, even when they audit themselves, they know they can do better. And if you had to compete, then, you know, to be the best nonprofit you know, because otherwise people aren't going to donate to you, then then you're not going to survive if your model is this bad. The government's program for welfare is as bad as it could possibly be considering the amount of money we give we put into it. And it it's just, you brought up housing and ur- urban development. That's something that has actually assisted in the downfall of our inner cities and, uh, something that has helped tear them apart. But let's get rid of this stigma. I, I guess I can't say it because I'm on the inside, but I wish people on the outside would get rid of the stigma that libertarians want to get rid of all of these services because we don't believe they should exist and nobody should help the poor and the poor deserve to suffer. N- no, I, I, I am an extremely compassionate person. I think we need to just do something that works. Instead of something that doesn't, instead of one thing that doesn't, we need to try multiple things that do. I guess, are you on board with me? Yeah. Okay. So that does lead me to a question here. Uh, What is the way that we as libertarians can provide those solutions? Does it have to be something where we build up bigger and better and wean people off of the government system? Or should we be looking for a legislative fix where we try to get something passed in our states and federal government? What is the best avenue for us to try to fix the problem and get things shifted back towards the free market? All right, well, well I, I'll answer this to what I think, but you should also answer this as well. I think there is actually times, and it's not often... We don't think about it a lot, but there's a few of these times when we've managed to get the government to actually, I, I guess, relinquish control. Some things like like drugs is clearly they're they're losing their grasp on it. Their ability to control marriage, they're slowly losing their grasp on that. You know, they're they're um, and so I think that we take those examples of when it happens. And instead of this dystopian nightmare, we point out how much better it is. We did an episode on the main show that talked about uh, privatizing the police. There are private police. First of all, people don't know this. There are private police forces in the United States right now. Whole cities, like whole counties. Okay. So, so, so remember that. Okay. Get that in your head because I know for a lot of people, including myself, that's kind of a mind blower. You don't think about that if, unless you actually know of them or live close to them or in their jurisdiction. But let's look at something like that and you say, well, but so I think that would be a nightmare situation. Oh, if the police were privatized, I'll bet that's a nightmare situation. And what does it end up being? It ends up costing the people half as much as a normal public police force. The police themselves end up making 
twice the wages they would have outside of the county. So it's an attractive job, which creates competition. And so, you know, good, good officers want to get involved in it. There's less harassing for quotas. And, and this is actually true as of the Supreme Court, a uh, public police force is under no obligation to help you if you're in trouble. A private police force, you have a contract with them, they are absolutely under an obligation to help you. So that's something that I say, look, it sounds, I I understand the fears. You think, what if somebody takes advantage of the system? What if some guy buys them all out? But the thing is, is we have evidence that those fears are unfounded. So I would point to those examples, both from history and today, to say that you think it's a nightmare, but you look at them and we can see that they're not. So I think that we as libertarians should start showing those messages and using them as examples to the people who are afraid of that and saying, look, I, I understand your fear because I'm, you know, there's a lot of scary, scary movies and scary TV shows and scary books written about this very thing where the rich people take over the world. But let's actually look at reality and look at the improvement. So how would you go about, I guess your own question back to you, how would you go about lessening it well you know i have to acknowledge that both of the scenarios have to work hand in hand but i agree with you uh we do have to build these institutions up and we need to set an example for the naysayers and the doubters out there uh and it starts as simple as you know if you know a friend who is struggling take them in for a time. I've had people live at my house rent free, you know, just so that they would have a roof over their heads. It's not a luxurious place. I didn't provide them with anything really beyond that, but still, you know, it was a few fewer people turning to HUD housing or, living off of the government dole. Yeah. And And that's something that we as libertarians need to focus on doing is being the neighbor that helps out. So it's time for like the final thoughts and I'll give you the final word, but let me start mine. I think that here's the way the conversation needs to go from now on. Instead of welfare, I hate that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about welfare I want to make that more effective because I think you don't lose people. I know that for me, I have many leftist friends and a lot of that has to do with my age bracket and I'm friends with people in my age group and we just, you know, we in the millennial generation happen to be left leaning because that's the way all younger generations are and always will be. Uh, And so I am friends with them, but one of the ways that I get them on the libertarian wagon is to to say to really validate their concerns because the reason they support these institutions is because they're worried that and, and unfortunately some libertarians voice it this way but a lot of right-wingers too say well let's just end these programs you know and and replace them with nothing and then nothing goes on and and you know and, and we just end up suffering a lot and i say no i i want to even be i want to be even more concerned than they are 
about the problem. So instead of saying, oh, it's too bad, but I guess, you know, we shouldn't tax for welfare, you know, but it's too bad about all those people who suffer. Saying, say it this way instead. Say, I care about those people who are suffering and I really want to get at it. And so here's a really, here's a much better way to get at it. I want to give them the maximum amount of, uh, of help that they can get. I want to help them become productive members of society and I'm concerned that they won't be. And so I'm, I don't like this monopoly and most leftists hate monopolies, right? So if you phrase it that way, that could help. But also just say, you know, I really want to, let's replace it with this instead. And yeah, maybe what you replace it with is a free market solution. And it's not something the government does. But the bottom line is it's something that has happened, both in history is on our side and current events are on our side. So I think just be the more concerned person when we say, let's not publicly fund blank. Let's say, yeah, let's fund it this way instead because that's better for those people and better for us. And and that's how I would go about it is by trying to be the more compassionate person as opposed to the less compassionate person. All right, Paul, final words of yours, baby. Yeah, uh, this entire do-it-yourself mentality has really come to a head here in the last couple of weeks with the government shutdown. And we've seen libertarian party groups all across the country take it upon themselves to go out and clean up the national parks clean up areas of their community that they use that they love and they're doing it partly to set an example but also just because it needs done for people that want to enjoy these spaces you know having a clean park is fantastic so you know, if you can get involved in your community and set an example with a trash pickup or a food pantry, that's been another one that's been very popular here in Indiana amongst the Libertarian Party. So, you know, set the example in your community and be the sort of person who you want to be a member of the community with. Be the be the neighbor that you would value having, because you really don't prove. You really want to if you're going to help prove that society can work without us or without a government. You need to prove that you're a good neighbor. You know, um, real quick, Paul, just because you brought it up, are private parks or public parks cleaner and well more well, well taken care of? You and I had a whole episode about this. That we did, and. It would not surprise many amongst this audience to learn that private parks tend to be more cleanly and well-maintained and safer than public parks and wilderness areas. It's a crazy thing, that free market incentive, isn't it, Paul? It really is. It's like people feel responsible for the things that they directly own. Yeah. Well, Paul, great episode, man. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, we have already made plans to do this thing next week, so we will be talking to each other real soon. All right. Until next time, Hody. Adios.